Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that first tonight. Big jab there from Duffy and Fred Mears. Hurt now. Oh! Down goes Duffy They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, is it great to be with you? Is it great to be with you? A good early Monday to you. Earliest start time in the illustrious history of the Anik and Florian podcast. It is 7.04 a.m. Pacific. TJ DeSantis had to leave his house when it was very dark outside today to be in studio. We appreciate him for it. It is Monday, July 1, 2019, episode 207 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Happy Canada Day to our Canadian listeners. Thankfully, they never introduced Ken Flo as like an American Canadian, despite the fact that he trained with Faraz Sahabi up there. Good morning, kid. (laughs) What you talking about there, bud? What you talking about there, friend? Yeah. What do you mean there, bud? <laughs> yeah, dude, I, uh, I I was kind of an honorary Canadian, so yeah, uh, right. I'll take that. I'll take that. So you were in Washington, D.C., training yes. with Ryan Hall? Yes, he's getting ready for his fight July 13th against Darren Elkins in uh, Sacktown. So uh, we're getting ready for that, man. We're in the final, uh, final stages now. He's looking sharp and uh, ready to go for that, man. I'll, I'll actually be in his corner. Well, let's wow. say... Let's I'm, I, I should be in his corner, barring any airplane or right. some issue like that. But this should be the first time I'll actually get to corner, Ryan. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to watch it. And, of course, I'm in a stretch of doing five UFC live events in six weeks. Man. And the the one I'm not doing, though. Of course you're not Sacramento. July 13th in Sacramento. Uh, so I guess we'll have to hook up uh, at, at a different time. Yes. And I, I don't mean physically, folks. <laughs> the other end of the line. So a lot to get to today. We, of course, will recap what Francis Ngannou and everybody else did uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Great crowd at Target Center. Great night for the fighters. Obviously, a lot of finishes. So it took seven years for us to get back to uh, to that there Target Center and uh, certainly was worth the wait. So we'll get into all of that. Of course, Ray Longo is going to join us. But again, with the early start time, it's not like he's texting me back this morning. So I can't guarantee Longo is going to join us, but he is scheduled to be on in exactly nine minutes. Uh, Ian Parker for the main event challenge. Another big week for Team Florian uh, as he sweeps the board in Minneapolis. And let's start with Francis Ngannou, whom you picked to win by first round knockout. That's exactly what he did. So it took Ngannou one minute and 11 seconds combined to get through Curtis Blades and Cain Velazquez in his two most recent appearances. A little longer this time, 111 total. 
but he gets Dos Santos out of there in the first round. And my biggest takeaway, Ken Flo, is that he has the most natural power in his hands of any fighter that I've ever seen in the UFC, meaning that he doesn't really need to catch you clean. I think it was a forearm in this instance, but even if you go back and watch his knockout of Alistair Overeem, as vicious and violent as that was, sending Overeem's head into orbit, it was only two of five knuckles that actually landed on the target. I just think JDS succumbed to the power, lived to fight another day, and Ngannou's uh, all the rage and, and deserves the hype coming his way, kid. Yeah, and, and few people have that kind of power, John. You know, uh, Dan Henderson was one of those guys. Yeah. He didn't have to hit you clean. He could still knock you out. Francis Ngannou has that power, and he has that reaction time as well. His ability to read what his opponent is going to do uh, do next and to have his body respond with that kind of quickness uh, is extremely unusual for a heavyweight. You just don't see that. Um and, you know, looking at this fight, listen, Dos Santos could have knocked out Ngannou as well. He has tremendous power. He has tremendous yep. speed. But I just I thought that Ngannou would land first in all of those exchanges because of that natural speed that he possesses. That's exactly what he did. Never allowed Dos Santos to get anything going. He started the fight with some heavy leg kicks just to let Dos Santos know that he was going to, if he wanted to do something, if Dos Santos wanted to be effective, he was going to have to get on the inside. And Ghana was just cracking those leg kicks. Uh, Dos Santos threw an overhand right that threw himself completely off balance. And Ghana took advantage of it. And it was all over. So I do think Ngannou is getting better, and I think it's hard to quantify because the fight time is so limited. Three fights, two minutes and 22 seconds. But I can assure you that Eric Nixick, his chief corner, is a good mixed martial arts influence and a good head coach. I think Dewey Cooper has some value. I think his manager, Markel Martin, who was in uh, his corner at times, I believe in the past, is just a, a good sort of stabilizing force for the team. And, of course, you saw Kamaru Usman, the UFC welterweight champion, corner Francis Ngannou for the first time so I think he's getting better he's carrying himself leaner he is quicker and just sort of in closing on the natural power like my best friend Brian Montgomery has not lifted a weight in 25 years and he's a fucking monster right he just retains muscle you know my wife is just much naturally stronger than I am and there is something to be said for that you know and I think I can make a case for Junior Dos Santos until I sit down across from Ngannou and then it just becomes hard to wrap my head around Junior beating this this mountain of a man, you know, uh, it's really impressive. And again, um, physicality does matter, uh, especially, you know, uh, when you talk about a lot of these heavyweights, I think that natural athleticism is going to be the difference for him against a lot of guys. Now, it wasn't the difference uh, against someone like a Stipe Miocic. You know, that was a, a clear sign that he needed right. to be technically better, perhaps uh, mentally better and tougher as well. Uh, but I think he's getting that, and you're seeing it now. He's way more balanced when he's striking, which unfortunately for everyone else means he's going to be hitting that much harder. So, um, yeah, I agree. He is getting better, and that's not good news for the other heavyweights. It's amazing to think where Francis Ngannou was about a year ago after that fight against Derek Lewis, which, again, as we said last week, just remains this weird, crazy outlier that is almost hard to figure out as to why those 15 minutes were so inactive. But Ngannou, of course, was getting booed, and everybody from Brock Lesnar to Dana White was criticizing him, and I think mm -hmm. rightfully so after that performance. But 
he's got a mean streak too, Kenny, right? He's not afraid to hitch after the horde. You know, I just think yeah. he's, a, he's a nasty prick, as Ken Flo would say, when he wants <laughs> to be. And I think yeah. that works in his favor as well. And certainly if there's a rematch for him with Stipe Miocic, I think it will go differently. But I will say about the first fight, the last thing he was looking for was a way out, right? With respect to guys like Frank Mir and Chael Son, and sometimes they just live to fight another day. They cover up. They want the referee to step in. And Ganu fought through those 25 minutes, even though defensively he did a lot of the wrong things on the ground. So I do believe if that fight comes around again, that it would go differently. Uh, I would be absolutely blown away to see them lock the door behind Daniel Cormier and Francis Ngannou. I just think Oof. that matchup stylistically would be absolutely fascinating. Uh, and all indications are for Francis Ngannou, the fun is returned to the game. And and you got to think the title fight's going to be next, right? And, and maybe as soon as August 17th, if one of those uh, other guys happens to pull up. Yeah, and listen, um, I think he certainly deserves it. Um you know, I think he's been working a lot on his grappling skill. I think he would do a lot of things differently in his preparations uh, for that fight against a wrestler, whether it's Stipe or Daniel Cormier. Um, and he, he would certainly have a huge size advantage over someone like DC. Um, so DC would have to be really careful on that one. Uh, but I, I know against Stipe Miocic, I think his footwork would be different. I think his wrestling would be different. Uh, and, and both of those are fascinating fights. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ngano open as the betting favorite uh, against either one of them, to be honest with you. I think it would be close. Obviously, Stipe with the head-to-head -head win, I think maybe yeah. it would be hard for Vegas to open Stipe as a dog. Uh, but it's heavyweight MMA, right? I mean, Francis Ngannou was even money to win by first round knockout. And, and I'm not here sitting, here giving betting advice on fights that I'm calling. But, mm -hmm. you know, if you're asking me last week where the value is in that main event, it's Francis Ngannou and it's round one, you know, yeah. with maybe a little sprinkle in round two, but not even. And maybe against anyone in the division. Well, exactly, <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's sort of the point I'm getting yeah. at. So DC exactly. right now, betting favorite against Stipe. That one's August 17th, but I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Ngannou at the very least stay ready and, and potentially try to save that main event if one of those guys, especially the old man DC, can't uh, make the walk. As for uh, Junior Dos Santos, Ken Flo, when we sat down with JDS on Thursday, and we talked big picture with him. Certainly this would have been a fourth straight win and would have set up a title fight. But he said, if I knock out Francis Ngannou and DC or Stipe is not ready to fight in 2019, that he was going to take another fight. So I don't think this changes things much for Dos Santos, candidly. I do believe this second win, career resurgence of sorts, will continue. I think he avoided major concussive damage here. Uh, and just sort of understood that the, the end was going to be an eventuality and didn't need to be separated from consciousness twitching on the canvas necessarily uh your thoughts on jds moving forward and uh staying relevant here in this heavyweight division listen i couldn't agree with you more i i think this was a great situation for dos santos and for those of you who were calling for uh you know that was a, a an early stoppage i disagree i i think it was a great stoppage um i, I think dos santos really saved himself from uh major damage i mean you don't want to be hurt and confused and have Engano attacking you from behind with huge shots. I think the referee stepped in at the right time. Um, so I, I thought that was good for Dos Santos though. The unfortunate thing is that I haven't quite seen the development that I would like to see out of Dos Santos. Mm. Um, I, I think this is a guy that keeps on throwing that same overhand, right? Um, it's the one that threw him off balance. I don't see as much development or, or, I don't see him bringing so many new skills to the game like, like I had hoped. Um, so 
I don't know if he's developing in the same way uh, that I think some other fighters are. Uh, I think in this game, you have to be constantly getting better. And I just right. didn't see that from Dos Santos. And when you're facing a guy like a Francis Ngannou, who is coming with some new skills and yeah. getting better uh, and has this tremendous physicality in that division, it's right. just not going to be enough. Yeah, no, I think you put it well. And if you look at JDS's previous three fights, all of them wins. He was hurt in all of those fights. And when you get hurt in the heavyweight division, uh, you can lose very quickly. He got stunned by Blagoj Ivanov in that five-round unanimous decision, got hurt by Tui Vasa in that first round and nearly was taken out of there, and also got hurt by Derek Lewis in what was a crazy first round. I do think he's evolved into more of a kicker, and I'm sure you'd agree with me there there for JDS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I agree overall uh, with respect to Conan and everybody at American Top Team that uh, that we haven't necessarily seen that evolution out of Junior Dos Santos. And in terms of the grappling, right, JDS is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Yuri Carlton, under Yuri Carlton as of 2012. And when Francis Ngannou called that into question, Dos Santos wasn't offended personally. He just, for the sake of his master, Yuri Carlton, he felt like that was a little bit of an unfair criticism because it sort of denigrates the master and all of the hours that were put in by Junior Dos Santos, whose first martial art, by the way, uh, was Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, all right, we got to put that down because uh, Ray Longo is on hold. Let's get to the Ray Longo minute. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. And my finished thought, Kenny, really was just going to be that JDS, he don't feel like wrestling and grappling in there. Like, even if that's the yeah. perceived path of least resistance against Ngannou, and I don't believe it would have been to take him down and try to keep him there, but he don't feel like doing that. You know, he wants to box. He is addicted to knocking people out. Yep. Those are his words, not mine. All right, after the bye week last week, early start time was just too early for Ray Longo. He <laughs> took the call today. Happy Ray. July, Ray. Good to hear you, buddy. Hey, let me ask you something. Who's fucking, whose bright idea was this? <laughs> I don't know who it was. Uh, maybe it was uh, it was me, Bray. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, it was mine. I mean, are you going to do this at 7 o'clock in the morning in uh, California? Know. No, see, see, Team Florian's on the East Coast. He's in Washington, D.C., helping Ryan Hall for his fight July 13th. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ryan Hall's still in the UFC? He is. Wow. What are you, doing? What are you talking about? He doesn't fight that often. The guy's undefeated in the UFC. Come on, Ray. It is crazy, man. <laughs> give that guy, give that guy some love, Kenny. <laughs> so, uh, so what time did you go to bed last night, Ray? I know it was a late night last Sunday, and and I forgot to inform you that we had the early start time because I myself forgot. Um, you get a good night's sleep last night, or what? Yeah, you know, if I'm if I'm to bed by two in the morning, it's 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 a good night's sleep. I'm saying last night probably about three. Wow. Yeah, I don't sleep. So we're setting booking, the alarm for I'm the uh, until like two in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're uh, you're setting the alarm for the Anakin Florian podcast, and we appreciate that. Were you able to see Francis Ngannou's handiwork over the weekend? Yeah, I did. I, I did watch the fights um, out of order, but I watched them. But yeah, yeah. crazy man. The guy's got crazy power, and uh, I think you guys were just talking about. It. I don't know what what. Uh, Dos Santos' game plan was, but uh, it didn't work out too good for him. No. Well, what do you do against a guy like that, right? I mean, because Junior Dos Santos is not a, a takedown artist. Uh, not to say he won't be opportunistic if there's a window, but that's not his game, you know? What do you do? Yeah, you I, just I, try I to, think try you to at least kick? have to try to tie the other guy out. 
a little bit and force yeah. the wrestling because it's not it doesn't seem like that's where obviously that's not where his strength is and then maybe go back to the boxing but I would have probably made it more like that even if I had him up against the cage and just tried to uh, you know wear him out a little bit so that maybe he just slows down a little bit or he loses a little bit of power and then go back to the boxing and then mix it up again and then go kind of go back and forth whether you're going to get the takedown or not at least make the guy think you're going to go for it because it could freeze him a little bit. Uh, it could open up Junior's boxing game a little bit, but if he knows that's all you're going to do, uh, you know, it, it does, just doesn't seem like it doesn't take much for this guy to knock you out. Right. See, and my conspiracy theory was, and I'm sure you'll disagree with this, but that Francis Ngannou denigrated the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt of Junior Dos Santos to try to encourage him to, to wrestle or grapple because I do believe that they also felt like that would tire JDS out and maybe get in his head, take him out of his comfort zone. I believe they felt like Dos Santos was much more of a threat on the feet than on the ground. Um, call me crazy. Uh, that sounds a little crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, it was just, I was just trying to figure out why would Nganu go this route? Because it seems so out of character and it didn't seem to come from him, right? And I know JDS agreed with this. It almost seemed like a manager or a coach was like, Hey, don't be afraid if you're looking for an angle to try to go a little bit heel to call out JDS's black belt. But we don't need to spend too much time on that. I want to just get your thoughts on this whole natural power thing, right? Because you hear phrases like dad strength when you get to be our age. And I think it's a very real thing. I think Ngannou, in terms of the natural power, is as imposing and dominant as anyone I've ever seen. He don't even need to hit you flush and you're out. I mean, look, this is the way it's, it's looking It's looking like that. Look, there's always been guys floating around that you spar, and they just seem like they got, like, lead in their gloves, man. It's a different type of shot that you get hit with. But, you know, he's not the cleanest puncher, but he is he is generating power. So, I, I don't know. I, you know, he, as of right now, uh, you know, he's not punch-proof either. And I think you kind of saw that with, uh, you know, the Black Beast. He didn't want to take any chances either. They just kind of negated each other by doing nothing. But, uh, I, listen, Julian, look, for, the other thing is he, he did get out of place, right? He did take a punch and he kind of yeah. almost, I think he had his back turned to him and he got kind of got hit blindside. I, I really don't think, and I this you could call me crazy, I don't even think Junior was that hurt because he just right. looked like he turtled up and it was more like the Mike Tyson effect like what he thought was going to happen was worse and then right. when he, cause when right. he got up he was saying to the doctor it looked like he was yep. perfectly alright you know what I mean so I think he's starting to get that you know like I think guys were losing against Mike Tyson before they even got in the ring yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying and I'm, I'm yeah. seeing a little bit of that but you know the first guy that stands up to him that could take a punch and give a punch, I think you're going to see a different story. Oh, and I'm sure at some point, you know, in heavyweight MMA, we could see Nganu knocked out. He has yet to be knocked out as a pro. But, man, when he starts swinging those arms and turning yeah. those hips, it's like a fucking weather pattern in there. I mean, it really – even watch the Overeem <laughs> knockout. No, right, no, right? No, like when he, no, when he lands with, that, with know, all five knuckles. Is, he's not even – no, those aren't even clean combos. He's throwing right. punches from his ass. So – these guys aren't even used to seeing, I don't think the angle's coming like that. You know, right. it's not the cleanest, like, you know, punching combinations. 
So they get, but I think he, they get hit from weird angles. And yeah. Like, again, even last night, Junior had his back to him. It looked like he got hit in a right. year or, or then he went down and then he took a couple of big shots. But he was, I, I don't know. I don't even know. When I mean, he lands, Junior is definitely when, not on the upside of his career. Well, sure, but but you know, I I think that his chin being really really bad is a little bit overblown. I mean, he he got clipped in his last three wins and was able to fight through that. I I just feel like with Ngannou Ray, like when he catches with all five knuckles at one point here, when he cleans up the technique and, and no, hits a, somebody really flush, shot. he's going to yeah. really, really hurt someone. Because the O-Ring no, knockout, as scary shot, a yeah. visual as it was, he landed with like his pinky and part of his ring knuckle. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, no. He definitely, look, he definitely is generating power, you know. I'm sure if you put him on that speed bag thing that registers power, he'd probably knock the whole uh, apparatus down. You know what I mean? Yeah. That guy swing it. So, I don't know. He's definitely... Look, he's he's on a roll, you know, but we don't really get to see a lot of him. I mean, uh, Miocic is the only guy to really look like he handled him the right way. You know, he put him right. like he was like a fish out of water in that fight. And then when it came back to standing, there was always a shot of it happening. But he was so, you know, uh, you know, he took enough steam out of him to where he could, you know, keep doing what he wanted to do. So we'll see. I don't know. It was. Uh, you know, it's what the people want to see, though. It was definitely entertaining. And I, I would I take that Joe Benavides fight over that fight any day of the week. But I'm sure everybody wants to see the knockout. So, Right. And we will certainly get to uh, Joseph Benavides here in a little bit. Last thing before we let you go, it would seem to me that your four highest-profile UFC guys, Marab Dualashwili, Chris Weidman, Ally Quint, Aljamain Sterling, none of them have a fight on the books right now. Is that accurate? That is... Accurate, yeah. I think okay. um, hopefully I'm going to get a couple of guys on the garden show in November, so we'll see what happens. I, but yeah, nobody's yeah, got I'd anything imagine, lined up. I'd imagine you'll get Weidman and I Quinton. It might even be Ally Quinton, Paul Felder at MSG. You never know. So, all right, my man. Well, unless you got anything else, we'll uh, we'll let you go back to bed. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this, right? it, actually, you know a, what? Is this a definite now, Kenny? Wait, this no, is not a permanent this switch. No. This is not a permanent switch. Oh, one time yeah, thing. I'll start trying to get to bed by one if this is. You gotta <laughs> let me know. So, Ray, actually, I have to do this before we let you go. So, we told you that if you could go 500 or better on UFC <laughs> main events, the rest of 2019, we give you $1,000. You're 0 1. You had Hinato Moicano against the Korean zombie. You missed last week, so you didn't get the freebie on Francis Ngannou. I shouldn't call that a freebie. Yes, favorite fighter. I'm taking uh, John, John Jones. Taking John Jones, you motherfucker. All right, John that, Jones. That, that poor guy just got the whammy put on him. Poor Jones. He doesn't know I pick him, and then he's. I know. He might be in tr- I'm telling. He might be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's flying to the window now to bet Tiago Mahetta Santos after Longo <laughs> goes with John Jones. Move. All right, man. We'll talk to you uh, next Monday. Thank you, sir. All right, guys. Take it easy. All right, there he is, the great Ray Longo, every Monday here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. We might, if TJ's in, we might have to just move up the showtime, Kenny, just to to mess with this guy, this uh, night out. Absolutely. And by the way, he can pick as many fights as he wants. Uh, we're good. I'm we're not, you, giving, yeah, him, right, we're right. not giving him that thousand. I mean, uh, can you imagine if I said that he had to end up paying us for a, a real putrid <laughs> performance? 
All right, we're going to make some picks on UFC 239 here shortly, but we got to rifle through some of these other performances. You know, Joseph Benavidez, to me, is sort of a criminally underappreciated fighter when you look at the body of work in terms of his ability to finish by knockout and by submission. Early adversity after a big right hand from Juicy A. Formiga opened up two cuts in bad locations. Rob Monroe might be the best cut man in the world, and thankfully he was in the corner uh, to minimize the damage for Joseph. But Joseph was just after the finish. I mean, he really fought like a caged dog and emerges as the number one contender. I think the Cejudo rematch would certainly have a lot of steam after Joseph not only won this weekend, but did it in the fashion in which he did it. Uh, what a little beast. Um, you know, I, I think that Formiga was far sharper. He was better this time around. I thought he was going to be a much tougher matchup for Benavidez. Um, I think he was. Uh, he had his moments in the fight, uh, but Benavidez just better everywhere, really. I, I think that from a technical standpoint, um, you know, Formiga seemed to be a little bit cleaner with his technique. You know, um, like a lot of those alpha male guys, uh, Benavidez tends to blitz head on, which is a very dangerous thing to do. You can get hit with some big shots. Um, but uh, again, his speed. Uh, I, I think was the difference in this one, his ability to outscramble someone like Formiga, who is a, a well-respected Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt was impressive. Um, and just, uh, again, he was a guy that just had too many weapons for Formiga. He was throwing way too much. It seemed to overload uh, Formiga and overwhelm him. Uh, and, and it was another beautiful knockout win by Benavidez uh, against a much tougher and slicker Formiga. It didn't matter. Benavides got the win anyway, and, and this is a guy who really deserves a shot at the 125-pound belt uh, if, if they keep it. Right. And I do think Benavidez's style, Kenny, is such that the Dustin Ortiz fight, in my humble opinion, is actually a tougher fight for him than this one. And I say that because Ortiz is just very strong, and I think Ortiz has the best cardio I've ever seen at flyweight, unless you want to say it's Benavidez's. And I think just in this matchup, in terms of speed, in terms of cardio, in terms of grappling confidence in an MMA setting, I just thought Formiga was up against it. I know some Vegas Sharps were firing out plays on Formiga, and perhaps as such, the betting number really tightened. You know, Benavidez closing, at least on my site, minus 120, and Juicy A Formiga was a minus 105 or an even money underdog, but a big win for Benavidez, and and nice to see uh, him and our friend Megan O'Leary get the $50,000 bonus as well. All right, at welterweight, your guy Damian Maya, and I was able to have a nice conversation with him af after the fact, got a big win over Anthony Rocco Martin, ended up being a majority decision, 29-28 times two, and then one judge had it, 28-28, gave Rocco Martin a 10-8 for that third and final round, I believe. A um, lot of layers to this fight, Kenny. I certainly want to give you a chance to talk about the referee and his decision to take the mount away from Damian yeah. Maya. Um, but overall, just 21st UFC win for Damian Maya puts him into sole possession of second place all time on the UFC wins list. And maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea. Maybe it's sure. kind of like watching a jujitsu match at times, but, uh, stop it. And Rocco he, Martin wasn't able to do so. You're absolutely right. Listen, at the end of the day, Anthony Rocco Martin needs to be able to stop something like that. And he wasn't able to do it. Um, you had a Damian Maya who kind of was doing his usual dance, uh, going out there, setting up his takedowns with his punches. I would have liked to seen him throw more kicks. Um, I think Damian Maya is kind of moving away from uh, kicks or has been moving away from kicks as of late. Uh, he should have at least been throwing that left high kick, I thought, um, to try to get those hands up from Rocco Anthony Rocco Martin. 
Uh, but uh, either way, it was still the takedowns, the control uh, for Damian Maya. And, um, you know, I thought it was a terrible uh, stand up from the referee. I mean, Damian is, is sitting on the guy's hips uh, and, you know, firing away to the body. And the referee decides that was the time to stand him up. And it doesn't matter what the crowd is doing or saying or booing. That has no influence on the fight. It's the referee's job to let them fight. This is mixed martial arts. You get to fight on the ground. I get it. If you're sitting there in the guard and you're not doing uh, nothing at all, I get that. But Damian was literally punching in that moment from a mouth position, and the referee goes to stand him up. That could have been the difference. I mean, right. it happened in the Kamaru Usman fight where Damian has his back. You can't stop a fight from that. You can't stand up a fight from that position. Um, you know, there's there's fighters' careers are on the line here. So uh, that was worrisome. But, uh, again, we're going to see this. We're going to continue to, to see this. Uh, a lot of times referees don't get credit when they do a great job. Yes. Um, but uh, this was one of those cases where, where the, he just didn't do a good job. And it it, it pains me to see this because, uh, again, uh, the, these – Every, each and every fight is very important uh, to a fighter's career. Yeah. And uh, da Damien's getting to the end now. I know he would have liked to finish on, on a win. I don't know if he's going to have one more. It looks like he says he wants one more, p perhaps in Sao Paulo, to finish off his career there. Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, the right guy won. Um, and Anthony Rocco Martin, I felt like, didn't do enough late in the fight. I thought he had his chances to be a little bit more aggressive and, and wasn't right. able to do so. Yeah, and again, he's a super nice kid, Rocco Martin is, and he's very coachable. I mean, you know how, how badly he wanted this and always deferring to his American top team jiu-jitsu coaches when trying to figure out. And he's a credentialed Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, right, who has dealt with Brock Larson's top pressure for years and years in the yeah. gym. But it just goes to show you, Damian Mai is one of a kind, man, you know, and that's why he is the, he is the number two most winning fighter in the history of of the ultimate fighting championship. He's an absolute legend. And, and normally a guy like that would get hall of fame consideration. He's not gonna, but in terms of the body of work, uh, Damien Maia is that guy for me. And, and if yeah. you're wondering why we didn't give him a post-fight interview, it was just a television clock issue. I know a lot of people were wondering why we weren't able to get in there, but, uh, we had had back to back decisions at that point in time. And, uh, we move the show along, uh, moving the recap along. Ken flow Vince from hell, Pichelle. You were so Ooh. convicted in picking him as a plus two, two fifty five underdog. And I know you feel like Roosevelt Roberts is really a, a good, well-rounded fighter to keep an eye on moving forward. But I think Pichelle just showed you his toughness, his heart, his cardio, his confidence, and a lot of things to rally after, after the first round didn't go his way. Yeah, and, and I felt this was a little too early for someone like uh, Roosevelt Roberts. You know, Vince Pichel has a lot of experience. You know, Roosevelt Roberts is a guy who's still coming up in the game. I, I think that uh, skill-wise, uh, you know, Roosevelt Roberts was probably the better guy. But experience-wise, I thought that was really going to be the difference was Vince Pichel's ability to uh, take him down and just be smarter to, to uh, and how he managed the time and uh, as far as tactics. Um, it was a shaky start for uh, Vince, but um, Roosevelt Roberts, I think, is a guy that will develop into a very good fighter. Why? I, I think he's a, he's a true martial artist. He's trying to get better. He's hungry. He has that killer instinct without getting overly emotional. He's very composed. But um, I think it was just uh, the right decision-making for Vince Pichel that won him that fight, was able to take him down, control him, slow down the action. 
And Vince Pichel has dealt with a lot of adversity. Some of it, I guess, brought on by himself a little bit. He was in a motorcycle accident and with an injury history uh, that read a mile long prior. Maybe that wasn't the greatest decision in his fighting prime. But he's dealt with a lot of personal and professional adversity. And I just can't help but feel so good for Vince Pichel. He's 12-2. and two. He's won five of his last six in the UFC. And the only loss in there to the still undefeated Gregor Gillespie, who I believe is ranked right now at 155 pounds. So... I'm excited for Vince. This was the last fight on his contract. We'll see if uh, he is able to get a new contract from the UFC. But you got to feel good for Vince Pichel. Got to feel good for Drew Dober as well, Ken Flo. You know, he's a guy who has constantly evolved. And maybe the the signature finish like this had eluded him in the past. But nice to see Drew Dober, who's been in a lot of wars, get a 67-second get a night at the office. Yeah, absolutely. He he was going to work, man. It, it seemed like he wanted to get him out of there pretty quickly. Um and, uh, you know, was able to get on the inside um, of, of his opponent and land those big strikes. He was throwing the straight punches. Um, and I think uh, Reyes was, was throwing kind of the hooks. And that was kind of the difference as they were trading in the pocket. Um, and the other, I think, difference was um, his ability to really sit down on his punches and, and land with power. So. Yeah. Uh, Drew Dober is definitely one of those guys to watch. He always shows up to fight uh, and, and an exciting fighter for sure. And I do think Polo Reyes' future is probably going to be in the featherweight division. You look at him as a six-footer and think, oh, I don't know. But he tried to come in heavy because of Dober's frame and power and everything mm. else. And he only had six pounds to cut. You know, he just has wow. a fast metabolism. He was hoping yeah. to cut like 15 and... You know, just body isn't keeping the weight. So I think you might see Polo Reyes try to sort of do the career reset thing in the featherweight division. Last thing on the main card, Ken Flo, and don't have to go too long on this, but I'm very intrigued to see how far Alonzo Menafield can take this thing. He defeats Paul Craig in three minutes by knockout. And Menafield, he's built like the side of a backyard shed. You know, he doesn't necessarily look like a light heavyweight. I mean... He really looks like a middleweight to me, despite the fact that it's very difficult for him to make this 205-pound limit. Former Arena League football player, a tremendous athlete, and definitely has an Nganu quality to his power. But I also think there's an accuracy and an efficiency to his hands. He's just a very good, in my opinion, natural puncher and boxer. And he doesn't miss the target even when it's moving. And he certainly didn't miss Paul Craig's chin when when Craig was on the way down here. Nice knockout and and the accompanying bonus for Alonzo Menafield. Yeah, I, I thought that Menafield uh, stayed very uh, calm and composed as well. I, I think he was patient throughout that fight. He was looking for his opportunities. Uh, might not be the fastest guy in that division, uh, but he does carry power. I thought he was way more technical than Paul Craig, who I... Thought had some good ideas, but just wasn't um, throwing the right strikes at the right time. And I think that really was the difference uh, of what allowed Metafield to land that big shot. Paul Craig threw um, a, a spinning attack when he really shouldn't have. Uh, and again, when you look at guys who can finish at the highest levels in the UFC, you have to be opportunistic. You have to have that killer instinct. That's exactly what Metafield did. All right, great show in Minneapolis, and we'll have some final thoughts on the show just in terms of this theme of of personal adversity on this fight card at the end of the show, which I happen to think is very interesting. But 12 fights in Minneapolis, seven of them end by knockout or TKO, and certainly as a play-by-play guy, you're not complaining when, when that is your reality. All right, good stuff from the flow there. Before we get to the main event challenge, it is time for the pronunciation of the week. TJ, I think, is three and six after a loser last week. This fighter 
fights Chance Ren counter on the UFC Fight Pass prelims this weekend at UFC 239. They call him the Austrian Wonder Boy. He is 18-2 and two after a win in his UFC debut against a very tough Michel Prezerich. TJ DeSantis, of whom am I speaking? Is it Ishmael Nordiev? It is not, TJ. You're three and seven. Uh, let's hear how he <laughs> says it, though. The Austrian wonder boy, Ismail Nordiev. Twice slowly. The Austrian wonder boy, Ismail Nordiev. Ismail Nordiev. So. Yeah, that's that's not that's not going to cut it, TJ. Hey, I, I I don't I don't blame you on that one. I I definitely sucked there. Sorry. I didn't give you a lot of turnaround time to think about this one. When is the next Invicta FC broadcast? It is August 9th. All right. So is that a Friday? I believe so. All right. So that Monday, which I think is August 5th, my daughter's birthday, we will uh, we will do an Invicta FC pronunciation of the week, and you can turn the tables. And, and so for all the TJ DeSantis fans out there, They'll see me go 0-1, and, and, and that'll be your proof that it's not easy uh, when you're just trying to do it dry. So uh, TJ's 3-7 and seven, nonetheless. Thankfully, his paycheck is not inexorably linked to his pronunciation of the week record. All right, big week for Ken Flo in Minneapolis. Let's recap it, get to the picks for UFC 239 and the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, Ken Flo, I'm going to take you back to April 8th, okay? All righty. On April 8th, Team Anik led the main event challenge 51 to 34. Don't. It was a 17-point lead. It was the single largest main event challenge lead in the more than four-year history of the Anakin Florian podcast. Ken Flo had shaved that lead down to 77-69 going into Minneapolis. And Flo beats Ian Parker 10-6. Florian goes 6-0 on the week. That included the big upset winner on Vince Pichel. So if you did tail Flo's bets last week, you certainly made a lot of money. Maybe even as much money as our incumbent Ian Parker, who hit a bunch of big parlays over the weekend. And Ian now joins us live. So, Ian, big picture, though. So 10 favorites cash in the 12 UFC fights this weekend. That usually means a big night um, for betters in the sports book and mixed martial arts and, and not a good night for the book. I guess a lot of betters, I think, square or otherwise, when they're betting MMA, they do play big parlays, which include a lot of chalk guys like Alonzo Menafield and Drew Dober. And all of those guys came in Saturday night. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, in my opinion, this is how it's supposed to go with certain fights. And normally, obviously, it all comes down to the styles, matchups. Um, it's just these favorites this week, they all favor their styles. There wasn't a whole lot yeah. to it. You know, Paul Craig obviously threw that really um, stupid spinning kick. And to Kenny's point, he had some good ideas. He was doing some good things. I think actually... Menfield was fighting a little bit, um, not a whole lot there in the beginning. You heard his right. corner yelling at him, get off the cage, get off the cage in the beginning. And Craig was using his range a little bit. He makes one mistake, and the guy with that power, you know, uh, Drew Dober, you know, obviously we all mentioned how he shouldn't have been that high of a favorite. Maybe he should have been. That was pretty intense. Um, right. And then it was interesting. There were some lines like Joey Benavidez that I just couldn't understand why the line dropped as low as it did, but I was loving every minute of it. Yeah. Because everyone's just so hyped on the Flaminga 
train that uh, train that he's won his last few fights, but everyone forgets how good Joey is, and he keeps evolving too. And he looked unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, everything was just everything was just crazy. I, I haven't seen a night like that in a really long time. Uh, you know, I did write to Ken Flo. I hope Pinchel beats me in the main event challenge because I threw, I did end up throwing him in a little bit something small. Um, Rosal Roberts had the first round there. He just kind of didn't do anything in the last two rounds. Just what a, what a what a really interesting betting weekend for everyone. So everyone that you know made money, good for you. I hope it keeps going because this weekend's going to be an interesting one. But this past weekend, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. But in a good way. See, you it's know? interesting. I mean, you say it's interesting and crazy, and to me, it's almost like the opposite of that in a lot of respects, right? That it just was sort of status quo. And I think you're absolutely right. Styles making fights and a lot of those were favorable matchups. But to me, it was just very chalky. And I think for the first time, I guess, in a little while, uh, there wasn't much that, that surprised you. You know what I mean, man? That, that's what I was referring to. That Usually yeah. somebody comes out of the woodwork and throws us all for a major curveball. And we all spoke off record. I just didn't see any of that really happening. And that's, yeah. that's what I was surprised about. I, I was thinking that somebody was going to throw a wrench in there and be that crazy underdog no one expected. I mean, Dan Moret almost did it against Jared Gordon. And Gordon was a minus 355, you know? Right. Um, so I yeah. guess that was the only one that kind of had the threat there. Other than that, right. wow. <laughs> you know, well, I can I can assure you folks that uh, that it was not a good weekend for for Ian Parker's bookie down here in South Florida. And I have the text messages to prove it. Ken Flo probably doesn't text you back. If I were him, I definitely wouldn't text you. back. <laughs> I messaged I Kenny on him. Instagram. He doesn't follow me, but he did respond. <laughs> I may have I may, <laughs> I may have a, I may have a couple underdog picks this week this week, though, boys. So, yeah, Ken Flo's like, I have a jujitsu training session like five minutes ago. Can you guys stop fucking dicking around? All right. UFC 239. So Ken Flo has shaved the lead, by the way. So it was 77 to 69. 10-6, my math tells me that that would make it 79 points for Ken Flo and 83. It's down to four. I mean, two months later, it's down to fucking four points. All right, first fight for us, uh, one of these prelims that you can see on ESPN this weekend. Claudia Gadelia, minus 250. Randa Marcos, plus 210. Ian, straw weights here. Who do you like? <clears throat> um, I'm going to go Claudia on this one. I, I think she's just uh, better everywhere over Randa. I, I do give Randa credit against Angela Hill in her last fight. I'm surprised that people you know, weren't betting on Randa in that fight. I, I like her wrestling. I think her cardio's there. That's the only concern with Claudia, but... Claudia going into three-round fight. I think she learned her lesson over the last couple of fights where she was expected to dominate and she just didn't. I'm thinking her wrestling is better than Randa's. I think her striking is leaps and bounds ahead of Randa Marcos. Um, I do think in this fight, though, Claudia is probably better off keeping this fight standing up. Even though of her jiu-jitsu game, I, I get worried sometimes that she kind of takes it for granted. And Randa's pretty strong for this division, good wrestler. But I'm still going Claudia in this one. She just has fought way better competition and has done very well. Randa has not gotten there yet, and I don't think she gets past Claudia in this one. Ken Flo, first start of 2019 for Claudia Gadelia. She's lost two of three. On the other side, Marcos has been a real workhorse of late. 12th UFC appearance for her, fifth start since the start of 2018. Unbeaten in her last two, finished Angela Hill in March. Chance to get the biggest win of her career here against Gadelia, and that would be by a wide margin with respect to... Uh, to previous victims of Randa Marcos. I think we're going to get the best version of Randa Marcos. Question is, will it be enough against Gadelia? Uh, I think we will as well. I, I, I'm not sure it's going to be enough. However, I think Randa is very tough. I think she's the kind of uh, girl that's not going to quit uh, till the bell sounds. Um, I think she's a little bit unorthodox, which throws uh, off a lot of fighters. 
Um, she is good, uh, you know, pretty decent on the ground. I think Claudia Gadelli is just better, uh, like Ian said, everywhere. Um, I, I think if Randa wants to go to the ground, I think Claudia is going to be able to stop those takedowns or get on top. I think Claudia is going to be much sharper on the feet, and I think that's where she can win the fight. All right, next up, featured prelim in the featherweight division, Arnold Allen, minus 300 against the returning Gilbert Melendez, who is plus 250. Shiny 5-0 start for Arnold Almighty Allen in the UFC. He is favored pretty significantly here, Ian, to keep it going. What do you think about Allen and Melendez in the featured prelim? Well, uh, you know what? It, it, it's kind of hmm. – this, this is a hard one. I know Allen's on the up and up, and Gilbert Melendez is still Gilbert Melendez. I just don't uh, – man, this weight class, it's hard for me to take Gilbert on this one. I have a feeling – if Kenny's going to take a shot on an underdog, this may be the one. I just can't go for it. I think I like what I've seen out of Arnold Allen so far. I think it kind of plays into the matchup with Gilbert. I don't think he is going to allow a brawl, in which Gilbert has kind of fell into in the last few fights. And we're not seeing and – and I've known Gilbert from this for a really long time. He's one of the nicest guys out there, and I love what he does for ESPN. But he has not – he's just so inactive. And at this point in his career, the amount of damage he's taken, the amount of epic wars he's been in. I just think Allen's going to be too fast for him. I think it's just a guy on the up and up and another guy who's kind of teetering. I'm going to go with this. I hate, I, I don't like how big of a favorite he is at minus 325. I like it better with right. like minus 255, but I'm going to take Arnold Allen here to uh, get a big name on his resume and move forward. All right, Arnold Allen for Ian Parker. Uh, Gilbert Melendez back for the first time. Ken Flo since UFC 215. That was September of 2017 when Jeremy Stevens beat him. So the last win for Melendez, UFC 166, Diego Sanchez, October 2013. Hasn't been finished since Pettis got him in 2014, but it's been a long time since Melendez had that hand raised in the octagon, Ken Flo. How do you handicap his chances this weekend? Uh, two very nice and tough guys going at it here. Yeah. I think the line is a little bit... Um, too strong for Arnold Allen, but uh, I do think that Arnold Allen is probably going to win and win by decision. I think it will be a close fight. I think Gilbert's ability to wrestle will dictate whether he wins this fight or not. If he's successful with his wrestling, I think Gil can do some stuff here against Arnold Allen. Uh, but I think Arnold Allen is going to be a little bit sharper of a, of a striker. Um, I think he's shown some pretty decent uh, takedown defense. I think it should be enough to get a decision win over Gilbert Melendez. Um, and it's tough to say what kind of Gil we're going to see. We don't see him too often. And I'm not sure I love him at 145 pounds. I think it might be a little bit too much of a cut for him. Uh, but I don't know. I, I have Arnold Allen uh, going in there um, and getting a decision win. All right, Arnold Allen by decision for Ken Flo. That brings us to the main card for UFC 239, Jones versus Santos, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, Nevada at welterweight. Michael Chiesa minus 340, Diego Sanchez plus 280. Ian, Diego Sanchez has broken away from Jackson Wink MMA. He goes for a third consecutive win here. Who do you like, Chiesa or Diego Sanchez? I like Kiesa here. Um, as much as Diego is so much fun to watch, another guy who's just taken so much damage, and I just don't know if he is going to have success getting Kiesa to the ground. I, I don't think Diego's brawling nature is going to do anything. Kiesa has seen that before, and he's done fine. Um, I think Kiesa is better on the ground. You know, when Diego – sorry, Kenny, I don't mean to throw you in this one. When, when Diego won the open fighter and got into the UFC, the biggest thing was the brawl, get to the ground, ground and pound, and just – now, unless he's fighting someone who's willing to brawl with him, that's his only shot. I think Kiesa is just too smart of a fighter here. 
I think Kiesa probably wins this one by submission. I don't think he's going to risk his new revamped weight class, his new fresh start right. in, this, uh, in this part of his career. So I, I can't run the dog on this one. I think Kiesa is going to win this one pretty decisively, and uh, I'm standing by that. Well, and win or lose for Michael Chiesa, his last five fights have ended with a submission. So, Ian, perhaps some value there if you're looking at the prop side of things. On the other side, Kenny, 30th UFC fight for Diego Sanchez. He goes into the UFC Hall of Fame on Friday night, and there are a lot of fighters that just wouldn't have that the night before a fight. You know, Kenny Florian, one of them, right? There's no way you'd be giving a Hall of Fame speech the night before a mixed martial arts fight, but if anyone can do it, I think it's Diego Sanchez. Certainly, I like him at 170 more than I like him at 45 or 55 at this stage of his career, uh, and, and not fighting a guy necessarily who has a ton of glaring advantages against him, size, strength, maybe MMA grappling. I don't know. Your thoughts on uh, on Sanchez and Chiesa? Well, I, I think that uh, Ian Parker got it wrong here. Um, I, I think that Diego Sanchez, if he's facing an other grappler, right. um, you better you better be damn good. And I, I don't know if Michael Chiesa is that guy. I think Michael Chiesa is good uh, as far as a mixed martial arts grappler. I, I think he's definitely strong. Um, but uh, I don't know if he's someone who can submit someone like Diego Sanchez. I don't know if Diego has ever been uh, submitted in his career. Um, so I think if he brawls, if Diego is going against a good brawler, a good striker, I think that's right. where Diego's in trouble. Diego's chin isn't what it used to be. So um, I think that um, I, I give him a chance here. I would go with an underdog pick here. I think Diego Sanchez is going to be um, better at scrambling. Uh, I think Kiesa might be a bit uh, more dangerous with uh, the actual submissions, but I think Diego, with his ability to scramble, get good position, and ground and pound, it, I think that's going to be the dif difference here, and I see Diego pulling off a, a decision win upset. Yeah, I think you're right. I can't remember a time that Diego Sanchez was submitted uh, I mean, at any Mar point. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, guys like Marcin Held, right. um, Jim Miller, uh, you know, you know, Mickey Gall, Craig White, who kind of came from some uh, Diego was just able to just completely dominate those guys on right. the ground. Right. Had he fought a prime Kenny Florian, he might have been submitted. But he, <laughs> fought, uh, he fought the soccer player essentially back in That's 2005. Right. All right. Luke Rockhold minus 165 versus Jan Bojovich plus 135. Ian Parker, light heavyweight debut for the former UFC middleweight champion Rockhold. He'll fight out of the blue corner, though. Because, of course, Jan Bojovic is established, credentialed in the division already, number six in the world. What do you think about the line and ultimately which way you go? Well, one, I wish I got a rebuttal on that Diego Sanchez, Michael Castaño, the way Kenny was totally discrediting my uh, breakdown there. But that's, that's okay. <laughs> I know how it goes on the show. We're good. Um, I am extremely excited for Luke Rockhold at 205. I think it's nice to get some new people involved in this division. And I think this is a... Pretty good matchup for him. I, nothing to take away from Jan. I think Jan's a very solid fighter, but we all know in this division there, there lacks some serious depth. I, I don't know if you put any other division if a guy like Jan would be even in the top eight or top ten, um, you know, especially just that division alone. It's, just, it's very hard to kind of place people there after a couple of wins. I think this matchup, though, plays very well into Luke's strength. For those of you that don't know, Luke is a huge dude. Guys like him and Wyman walk around. Absolutely. I'm glad – so I'm glad I hate to cut you off. I hate to cut you off. I hate to cut you off, but I'm just so glad that you brought that up because anyone who has sat with Rockhold when he's waiting to weigh in, as we did in Perth, Australia last February, he is an enormous middleweight. And I am so excited that he will never 
weigh 186 pounds again as long as he lives, and, and now you can continue. <laughs> well, no, no, and that's and listen. A lot of people who listen to the show or they watch, they don't realize sometimes what these guys had to cut. Like Forrest Griffin should have could have fought in heavyweight. This dude cut so much weight. Guys like Wyman, wait till you see the difference. I, and I always used to talk about him and Luke when they first started. These guys walked around between 230, 240. Not having to do a weight cut down to 85 is going to be huge for someone like Luke. I think his speed is going to be tremendous here. People forget how good of a wrestler and jiu-jitsu practitioner he is. And his striking is so fluid and technical. Um, I think he'll be able to – I think he wins this one, and I can't believe the line is as low as it is. I'm pretty excited. I'm going Luke Rockhold here without a doubt. All right, Ian Parker, and in a convicted manner, going Rockhold minus 165. We'll see if we'll see if you, you move the betting line because you like Luke to the extent to which you do. Kenny, Jan Bojovic had won four in a row before he ran into Tiago Mejeta Santos in a main event in February. Had he won that fight – he would likely be fighting John Jones for the title this Saturday night. What do you think about Bohovich welcoming Rockhold to the 205-pound division? All right. Well, um, listen. I, I think Blahovich is going to win. I, I think Bohovich is going to win this fight here against Luke Rockhold. Um, this is my other underdog pit, pick. When I've seen uh, Luke Rockhold um, compete for so long, and and he was good for a while, and, and you know. The only thing is there was always that uh, dropping of the right hand, which which made him susceptible to that left hook. And obviously we know what happened with Bisping, but it's something that hasn't been fixed. If it hasn't been fixed after that, when is it going to be fixed? When I see these things that aren't being addressed, um, it, that concerns me. Uh, and, and I think this is going to be a concern, especially at 205 pounds. I don't think Luke Rockhold is going to be undersized in this division against someone like a Bohovich. But I do think it's going to be concerned. And Bohovic is tough. He can pressure you. I think if he has that style and has the ability to keep the fight on the feet, which I think he can, um, I think he wins this fight. I don't know if he's going to win by knockout, but I do think he'll hurt Luke at some point during this fight and at least win by decision. So I like uh, Bohovic here for my underdog pick. All right, so back-to-back -back disagreements, which we absolutely love. That brings us to the fight that jumps off the card for me and many others, the grudge match between Ben Askren, the minus 225 favorite, and Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, the plus 185 underdog. Ian Parker, you'll lead on this one. I'll have Ken Flo lead on the co-main event. Handicap it, Askren Masvidal. This one is the most interesting fight line-wise, everything across the board. You know, your typical grappler-striker situation here. The question is, how fast does Ben get Masvidal to the ground? Um, because Masvidal, when he's fought against other grapplers, has been taken down pretty much with ease. You know, to me, I have a feeling this fight kind of goes the same way as it did when uh, Masvidal fought Damian Maia. You know, listen... You can be as good as you are in the UFC and you can work takedown defense and work takedown defense and be amazing at jujitsu and all that good stuff. But it doesn't mean that you're still going to be able to prevent a guy like Danny Maia or a guy like Ben Askren getting you down. Um, people want to rank on Askren for not really beating Robbie Waller. Fine. I, I understand the controversy there, but I want to do, put something in perspective. Um, ben obviously did not expect Robbie to dump him on his head, take all that damage. Well, let's look at that. He took all that damage, came back, and did win the fight, or was at least in a position to win that fight, whether we all want to consider that ending controversial or not. Um, I don't think Masvidal is going to have a strength thing here. I think the only advantage he has is going to be the striking. I think Ben obviously got a rude awakening in that first few minutes in the UFC. He had a lot of pressure on him. He hadn't been fighting a while. I can't bet against Askren here, though. I just think his ground game 
it's going to go there at some point. And if Robbie couldn't knock Ben out, I don't think Masvidal does. Um, Askren's got a good chin. I'm sorry for ranting like this. It's just this is literally how you got to do with this fight. Maybe Kenny goes underdog here for a third one to disagree. I don't know. I just think Askren's going to get this fight to the ground. And once he does, it's all him. So I'm going Ben. Ken Flo, Ben Askren, 19-0 with a no contest. This would appear to be the most complete fighter he's ever faced in my mind. Um, Masvidal, firmly in his fighting prime, confidence at an all-time high, doesn't have to worry about the weight cut to 156 pounds. He's fought 16 times in the UFC. All of that said, he's a near plus 200 underdog here this weekend, and there's got to be a reason why. Askren or Masvidal for you? John, do you see what I do? Do you see what I do here? I got him shaking in his boots. Now he's <laughs> doubting himself. I mean, now he doesn't know what to do. Amazing. He's completely he's fucking amazing. No, listen, I think Ian got this one right, though. Um, as much as I- I'm a huge Masvidal fan, I-, I just I don't know if he has um, the-, the power necessarily to knock out a guy like Askren. Uh, who's, who can be careful in his approach. Now, he took some huge shots against Robbie Lawler. Uh, he's got a chin from hell, but I, I do think that was um, quite a vicious um, debut for him um, and, and welcoming to the UFC, and I think he's going to be a little bit smarter this time around against someone like Masvidal. I think he'll be uh, much more careful in his approach, but I do think he's it's going to be another... Um, you know, clinic as far as wrestling. Uh, you look at Maya's performance against Masvidal and his ability to take Masvidal down. Uh, I think Askren is going to be able to do that uh, here against Masvidal. Control him, slow the, slow the pace down, work his ground and pound, chip away, and win by decision. All right, a couple plays there on Ben Askren from the fellas. That brings us to the co-headliner for the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship. We will have Ken Flo lead here. Amanda Nunes minus 335. Holly Holm comes back at plus 275 title fight which means we'll need the round and the method of victory ken flow who leaves vegas the ufc's undisputed women's bantamweight queen you know john i I love both of these ladies i think they're tremendous fighters Uh, i just think that holly holm i haven't seen a comfortable calm and composed a relaxed holly holm in the octagon as of right now and with all of her combat experience um, I, I, you know, uh, it's just surprising to me. I, I think Holly has the skills potentially to win this fight, um, but her being just a little bit too tense uh, in fights sometimes, I don't think she's able to pull the trigger the way that she wants. And I also think it takes away from her ability to be even faster when you're that tense. So I think Amanda Nunes wins this fight. Um, I, I think Nunes is going to be able to keep the pressure on her, uh, land the strikes, um, I think she's got to have to be very good as far as cutting off uh, the octagon uh, against someone like Holly Holm. I think it's going to take her a little bit. I think Holly is very durable, but I think uh, Amanda Nunes is eventually going to get to her uh, and get a TKO uh, around round four. Round four TKO for Amanda Nunes is the pick to click for Ken Flo. Ian, Holly Holm has lost four of six since the win over Ronda Rousey in 2015, but you can also say she's won two of her last three, the latest of which over Megan Anderson. That was rather decisive at UFC 225 in Chicago. It was back in June of 2018, so pretty extended layoff here for Holly Holm. What kind of chance do you give the preacher's daughter against the lioness Amanda Nunes? 
I just think it's impossible to go against Amanda Nunez based on what we've seen over the last uh, – with her as the champ and now the double champ. Her confidence is riding high. She's put everything together. It's just impressive. And I think Kenny, as much as I want to mess around and say, you don't know what you're talking about. You got, I got him shaking in his boots. I'm not shaking anything. Relax over there, bro. <laughs> um, <laughs> but – you know, the thing is, he's right. With Holly, she gets too tense, too hesitant. For someone as as as, as, as much experience, it's kind of uh, bizarre, especially when we know Amanda Nunez is so now confident in her hands. This is kind of what Holly wants. She doesn't want Amanda Nunez to take her down. You know, Holly, I don't care how much you train off your back. Again, as long as you've been in this game, look what Misha did to her with ease. You know, I, I think Amanda just is too much – and if she dominates on the feet, Holly's in trouble. I think she's going to hit a couple power shots early that are really going to throw Holly off. Um, I'm going to do a little prices right here because I literally was going to say the same thing as Kenny. So I'll just say TKO round three. But I wouldn't be shocked if Nunez somehow, um, if Holly puts up a decent striking battle and Nunez goes in for the shot and takes her down. But we'll go TKO right. round three, Amanda Nunez. Yeah, right, Nunez so has both to be guys. very patient here. Uh, I, it's just one other thing. Nunez has to be very patient here. She can't very. think that she's going against someone like a Holly Holm, that she's going to be able to take her out like she did uh, her other opponents early, uh, like Cyborg. Uh, Holly is a different fighter than, than a Cyborg. And thankfully for Amanda Nunez, that is a serious power corner, and you can be sure for Conan Silvera and Dean Thomas and everybody else, Cattell Kubis, uh, they are – Mindful of that and, and certainly aware of that. Of course, sometimes instincts take over, but good analysis from you guys nonetheless. All right. John Jones and Tiago Santos for the UFC's undisputed light heavyweight title. Jones minus 600, Santos plus 450. Huge price. That still doesn't mean there isn't value on John Jones. We'll need the round of the method as well. Ian, what do you think about the light heavyweight title fight this weekend? This is, I mean, listen, <laughs> John Jones arguably one of the best fighters, not the best of all time here. I don't really see him having too much trouble after the first, you know, once he gets out of the first round, Tiago's going to come out and throw everything at him. You know, and I just think Jones, oh, he's such a cerebral fighter. He's not going to get into a brawl. He doesn't need to sit here and prove that he can knock out Santos. That That's not, you know, he's not going to pull a, a JDS where he feels like he has to knock out Nganyu. Uh Jones just has to win. He doesn't care how. That doesn't matter. No one's going to question that. Um if you even if he wins by decision, no one's gonna knock his knock his victory here. And like I said, this division at 205 and lacks so much depth that I would have liked to actually have seen Thiago Santos fight someone else before this uh, to give him a little bit of a challenge all over the place instead of just fighting strikers where it's get knocked out or knock out. So I'm gonna go John Jones here. I'm actually gonna say he's gonna win by TKO in early round three. I just don't see Santos, um, you know, being able to keep up with the pace, the cardio. I know he puts on a really good pace. I don't want anyone to kind of misinterpret what I'm saying there. I'm talking about when he gets dragged into deep waters because Jones will go the same pace for five rounds. Tiago will go balls to the wall for the first one and a half, and then he falls off. So, John Jones, TKO round three. Well, he didn't fall off against Jan Bohovic in Prague back in February, and, and that guy's no picnic, but I think your point is well taken. Ken Flo, I'm going to ask you a quick question before you make your prediction. So yes, we had this conversation in Minneapolis over the weekend. If you had to pick one current 205-pound fighter in the UFC – other than Daniel Cormier, which I think would be the obvious answer, to beat John Jones to save your dog's life. We're giving you one light heavyweight to pick. 
Who are you taking? And I'm just going to give you a minute to think about it while I throw a few names your way. And I bring it up in the context of Tiago Santos this weekend because for me, if I needed to pick a guy to beat John Jones, I think you can do a lot worse than Tiago Santos with the crazy kicks and the capoeira head kicks and everything else. I think you go high and touch John Jones. It's going to take some crazy weapon like that, some freak circumstance to get this done. So if I could take one 205 or this weekend to beat John Jones, Respectfully, it wouldn't be Anthony Smith or Alexander Gustafson or, or Dominic Reyes, who I don't think is ready. I don't think Jan Blachowicz is fast enough. The two names I thought of, other than Tiago Santos, were Alexander Rakic, who's just getting going, and Johnny Walker, right? But if I had to take a 205-pounder to beat John Jones, I don't know. I think Santos might have more of a shot than a lot of people are, are giving him credit. Um, who do you think is the 205-pounder that's going to beat this guy if it's not Mahetta? John, I, I agree. Do I get to, I, I, wait, I I get to pick you, after man. Kenny? Because that's a fun yes. game. Yes. <laughs> Listen, I, I agree with you, man. Listen, I think it's Tiago Santos. I really do. I, I think this is a guy that has five minutes to win this fight. Yeah. Okay? If he's going to win this fight, it's got to be in the first round. Why? Number one, um, he can surprise you with his aggression. That's something that throws off a lot of fighters, even the most experienced ones. Number two, I think John Jones is the kind of guy who takes a little bit of time to warm up. He likes to analyze you. All the great fighters with the great minds, with the great fight IQs, will look at what you're doing, assess, and then fucking systematically take you out. That's what makes John Jones uh, the, the GOAT, really, in my opinion, right? Um, and I think if Santos can just go at him and just make this a five-minute fight, he has that chance. I really believe that. But I think John Jones, his reach, his defense, he's become so much better defensively as a fighter. He frames extremely well to keep you on the outside with that long reach. He knows how to keep you on the outside with his legs as well, um, whether he's uh, attacking your knee with the oblique kick or he's going down the middle with that stab, with that foot stab down to your stomach. Um, or with that roundhouse kick, he has so many damn weapons and he has so much more experience to make him that much better. I see John Jones getting a TKO win in round two. That's my pick. But I agree with you. If there's one guy to get it done, it's Tiago Santos. The problem is he's got five minutes to do it. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Jones by TKO in round two is the pick for Ken Flo. You can be sure, not unlike Junior Dos Santos this past weekend against Francis Ngannou, that Tiago Santos, Ian, is not going to be intimidated. And Ian Parker, incidentally, is a dog breeder on the side. So with your most valuable dogs, life on the line, who do you think is the current 205-er other than Daniel Cormier that is best equipped to beat John Jones? Now, you know what? I, I, it's so hard to pick against Santos. I was just messing around. Um, and Kenny said it 100%. I was trying to get creative. I know you brought up Johnny Walker and Rakic. Rakic. I also was thinking of someone like Dominic Reyes. The problem is these guys aren't proven enough yet to really show us they're ready. I think someone like a Dominic Reyes' athletic ability, his cardio, you know, it just. but again, to, to Kenny's point, and this is why I said this also, if Santos is going to do this, he has the capability within the first round, maybe first round and a half to shock you know, Jones, he is not going to be terribly undersized here, although Jones is also a huge 205-er. You know, he's got to, but to Kenny's point, he's got to throw everything at the kitchen sink. He's not going to beat John in a uh, cerebral game. He doesn't have a higher fight IQ. He's got to throw the power. He's got, we know he can eat the shots. You know, I don't think Jones is going to present anything different power-wise than some of these other guys have thrown at him that he's been hit with. So, yeah, if I were to put <laughs> the money down and the life on the line there on one person, I think Kenny's right. He has five minutes, maybe seven and a half at most to really do it. And then after that, it's going to be the John Jones show. 
Yeah. Well, for me, it came down to Santos and I think Rockich and uh, Tiago Santos gets his shot this weekend. Ian Parker, great job, buddy. We will uh, we'll talk to you next week. You got it, guys. Thanks, man. All right, one final note here on the way out in terms of this Minneapolis show. As many of you know, as commentators, we now get the chance to sit down with uh, 15 or 16 fighters on Thursday. The rest we talk to by phone on Tuesday. But it's so inspiring to sit down with these athletes, especially when you listen to some of the obstacles and hurdles that they've had to overcome to get to the big show. And this weekend, it just seemed like there was a lot of heavy shit, Ken Flo, when we were sitting down with these fighters. So I'm just going to run through. These are just the fighters on the fight card this weekend in terms of the adversity that they experienced to get to the UFC. Roosevelt Roberts' mom left when he was 14. This is a direct quote. I was unable to protect her from my dad as a kid. Alonzo Menafield, his father was killed by LAPD in a drug-fueled highway confrontation. Mom, an immigrant from Belize, he was adopted from a shelter at 14 years old. Journey Newsom, who fought his ass off against Ricardo Hamos, crack baby, grew up in foster care. Great UFC debut despite the loss for him this weekend. Jared Gordon, family business burned down on the fire. Of course, all of his drug issues in the past. Dequan Townsend lost his son Malachi due to cancer at four years old, lost his mom, his best friend, a bunch of cousins as a kid. Emily Whitmire, tough childhood, her mom still homeless in Portland, Oregon. And then, you know, fighters like Vince Pichel and Amanda Hebos experiencing adversity to whatever degree that I'm not going to get into, but it was just like fighter after fighter, having all these crazy childhood circumstances. And, and all of us have things that happen in our lives that affect who we are and maybe where we get. And uh, I just wanted to shout out all of those fighters because it just seemed like the odds were improbable uh, for these fighters to emerge out of some of the circumstances they dealt with as kids. You know, uh, I think it's a very powerful point um, that you're making. And, and I think that it, it's a reminder to all of us that uh, it's no mistake that all, that all of those guys are very tough individuals who yeah, are man. in the profession that they're at. And when things get tough, those are the things that are you going to make people or are they going to break people? And just r- remind yourself when you're going through something difficult like that, um, if you're able to get through it, those are the things that are going to make you who you are. Those yeah. are the things that are going to make you tougher. And uh, I think that's why w- that's what makes this sport so inspiring to people and why we respect all of these guys. And, um, you know, it, it's it, it's a powerful point, John. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. All right, we got to get out of here. We're back right with you next Monday. We will extensively recap UFC 239. Also predictions for the Sacramento card coming up on July 13th. Don't forget Ken Flo firmly entrenched in the corner of the great Ryan Hall. And happy birthday! Happy birthday to my man John Anik. Thank you, buddy. Big 41 coming up and uh, obviously a busy stretch for the UFC. Nine consecutive weekends with a live event and that means we're with you every step of the way here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. Thank you for listening, hopefully subscribing, and we will talk to you next Monday, the 8th of July. Until then, for TJ DeSantis and Ken Flom, John Anakin saying so long for now. Don't text and drive. Enjoy UFC 239. Yo later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus and wagering week 
is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.